Well, it's time once again to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sebelair. It's all about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. And going inside EMS every week, we're excited to be here with you. But none more excited than my good friend, my faithful companion, the one we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, KG, what's going on? Oh, man, living life, living the dream, uh, saving lives, stamping out disease and pestilence, and spreading the healing message and so- of uh, healing from, from pain and suffering for Acadian Ambulance throughout my catchment area. Man, you've been working on that one for a bit, haven't you? <laughs> that's my, that's my, my, uh, one of the nurses at the, uh, at one of the hospitals I transport to says, you know, you ask him what's going on. It says, Hey man, I'm just spreading the, the healing message of, of Jesus Christ throughout our greater catchment area. Yeah, very funny. So, um, well, good, man. It's time for another week, time for another yeah. story, time for another show. And uh, we spend time, you know, on figuring out what we can talk about. And a lot of people will send in their ideas and we appreciate mm-hmm. those ideas and you keep them coming in because it really kind of keeps us on our toes to say, I don't think we've talked about that and our audience yeah. wants this. So, but one of the things that I think we talk about today, you know, last week, you know, we had the opportunity to talk about the uh, commencement speech I was given at the uh, mm-hmm. EMS course. And I think it went over well, you know, we talked about three things, you know, you don't know everything there is to know yeah. about EMS, you know, how to develop, you know, your professional development journey. And then finally, <laughs> pardon me, how to develop your own reputation, you know, how yeah. to develop and keep your professional reputation. Everyone well, stayed awake. Uh, no one's well, you know, fruit relatively, you know, they didn't was, run you out of town on the rails. No. Is you is or is you ain't my constituency. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> nothing is nothing as exciting as that. Oh, okay. um, but, you know, the question comes up, though, how do we build the skills that we need to have to be a good because we talked a lot about knowledge, right? You don't know mm-hmm. everything there is to know about EMS, cognitive knowledge. Yeah. But when we think about from a skill standpoint, how do we build the skills that we need to have to be successful? And when we think about it, Kelly, I mean, the way that you intubate today, is that the way you intubated when you started EMS? The you way mean, that you mean flawlessly? Oh, no. <laughs> the way that you'd start an IV? Is that no, the way you not. start? You know no, what I mean? Not. So, and yeah. then when we think about the psychomotor domain and where we go from, um, you know, imitation to naturalization, and yeah. then, you know, in the middle of that is manipulation, precision, articulation. How do we get to the top of that skill mastery list? And I think that's where we're going to focus kind of our conversation today, because we always talk about it from the standpoint of, um, you know, knowledge and cognitive. But let's talk about psychomotor and let's talk about how we climb the pyramid to naturalization. I mean, because now when we think about starting an IV, are we thinking about starting the IV or are we thinking about what comes after we start the IV, right? Exactly. I mean, so we've, we've gotten to a point of second nature, uh, but this is over experience of hundreds of, of IV starts, maybe thousands of IV starts. Mm-hmm. And uh, what has caused us to climb that pyramid? So, I mean, your initial thoughts before we get started? Uh, I, I I follow a, a similar uh, a similar path toward toward uh, skills mastery and, and uh, uh you know, naturalization of the skills. You you gave the example of of starting an IV. I I call you know driving a car. 
when was the last time you had to consciously think about driving a car somewhere? You just, you just do it. And there are so many micro skills that go into mastery of, of driving that car. Uh, and, and so many cognitive processes that go in it that we have to develop along the way before we reach naturalization. And, and, you you said it right. You, it's a pyramid, and you you have to organize it in a pyramid. And and I did this. I've been doing this for uh, training retrievers all the way up to paramedics uh, for for forty plus years. Um, and uh, a pyramid's a good way to look at it. You have to you had to put the foundational skills at the bottom uh, and uh, and cement the, those along the way. And as you move up the pyramid, you. You uh you still build mastery and all those foundational skills along the way. Yeah, and I think that you hit it on the head too, because one of the things that you know you brought in the you know the driving the car, and you know that's where our subconscious mind comes in into yeah. play. We don't think about driving the car. I mean, when we first got in the car when we were fifteen or sixteen or years old, we knew that we were uh, consciously incompetent and had to handle that vehicle. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, man, I don't know that I think about driving the car anymore. And there have been times I've missed the exit. There have been times yeah. I've snapped out of my trance and been like, I'm on the road. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, a brief, funny anecdote about driving a car. My first job in EMS, my boss had a procedure for starting the ambulance. Um, he, he, you know, you think you know how to drive a car, you know how to drive a vehicle. How do you drive an ambulance? Well, his, he wanted you to do it this way every single time. Um, you got in the vehicle, you started the ambulance, then you put on your seatbelt, then you engaged your flashers and your siren. Then you pulled slowly forward until you could see the, uh, the road and you looked right and left and excuse me, left and right and left again. Uh, <laughs> And then I see, engaged, I see you didn't pass that yeah. skill. <laughs> and then you engaged the siren and moved out into traffic. And you did it that in that order every single time until we it, it was reflex for us. And I still start and drive my own car that way. Um but how much of that why, was how much of that was skill preparation or just control that I want you to do it this way? Well, it gets up to the point of uh, when we talk about articulation and naturalization, why we did this and why it becomes part of our our, uh, our unconscious processes. Uh, he had a fleet of crappy ambulances, and he didn't want us romping on cold engines. So the whole thing was designed to let the engine warm up a little bit and start circulating some oil uh, before we stomped our foot in the accelerator and pulled out into traffic. He was just trying to preserve his crappy ambulance fleet. And that's the way he did it, but it works. You know, sure. you, you, uh, you don't have as many uh, hard, cold starts uh, doing it that way. But um, often we don't, uh, we don't pause to think why we do something uh, or why not. Uh, and that's at the at the higher end of that skills uh, pyramid, the the articulation, and the naturalization. We don't pause to think why right. until we're well on the way toward toward mastery of that skill. You know, so when we think about developing a skill, whether it's an EMT school, whether it's in paramedic school, they take us through the numbers, right? Number mm -hmm. one, this is what you do. Number two, this is what you do. And then all of a sudden, when you get into manipulation, you're you're trying to now think about do I need step one? Really? I mean, I think what they're doing is trying to give you a foundation to say, yeah. 
um, one, two, three, four, five. And I think that that's a good way to start. So we kind of imitate what we're seeing or we imitate, uh, you know, what we're being told to do. And then we kind of change that a little bit when it comes to manipulation to say, and I think when we start to get into that second phase of manipulation, that's where we really start to think about the skill as our own and mm -hmm. what we need to do to figure out how to make that uh, skill easier. You know, one of the things that uh, when it comes to innovation, we're always taught, you know, put the blade into the right side of the mouth, sweep the tongue to the left and, you know, try to fit your Mac blade into the molecular and lift, mm -hmm. you know, to the corner of the wall and the ceiling. And yeah. so you can have a good lift. And, you know, as I started to do that earlier in my career, then I started to realize, you know what, you know, I'm just going to put the tongue, the blade in sideways and then I'm just going to lift. And usually I was right into the molecular and I didn't need to, I didn't need to, uh, you know, skirt my, you know, or move my blade deeper and deeper because yeah. usually it was right there. Is that the way we were taught? No, it's not yeah. the way we were taught. But then that goes into the precision uh, mm -hmm. after you've kind of done that. But Kelly, let me ask you this. I mean, because you're a, you're a trainer of, of providers. And when you think about it from the standpoint of teaching a skill and imitation, whether it's from the old days of the skill sheets or the one, two, three, mm -hmm. and now when you try to go from imitation to manipulation, do you give your students something that they can work on to say, this is the way that you get the skill mastery, or you just kind of say, I'm going to teach you the skill and then you're on your own? No, I like to give them a template uh, to, to go by. I still use the skill sheets. I don't use the skill sheets as a evaluation tool anymore because I think they're very limited in a test as a testing and evaluation tool. But as a kind of template to follow when you're still learning the skill, yeah, they're they're invaluable. Um, I may even I, I may not even use the National Registry skill sheets. Uh, I, I adopt them and, and adapt them for my own purposes. Uh, but it, it helps to have a, a template. That's what the imitation is all about. You know, watch uh, what's the old saying, see one, do one, teach one. Uh, and, and since we're most of us visual and kinesthetic learners, it's really important that when they watch you do it the first time that you do the damn thing right. Uh, so, so when, when you move from uh, imitation to manipulation, it kind of helps to give them a, a little bit of a safety net, a little bit of a security blanket uh, to to uh, fall back on um, when they maybe forget a step. I liken these things to uh, I liken errors in in uh, psychomotor skills training to process errors versus technique errors. And I don't when I say process errors, I mean a particular step, uh, or if you make a mistake, it's going to affect uh, the the success of, of performing the skill. Um, for example, if you're teaching, you know, CAB in in uh, cardiac arrest management, mm -hmm. uh, and they get out of order, uh, uh, or if you're teaching um, if, if you're teaching how to start an IV, and they they immediately pick up a 18 gauge catheter in a sweet little old lady. And you know, darn well, that the, that vein is not going to hold an 18. You stop that before it even begins, because even though some salty old paramedic told them, you know, if you can't, you know, go big or go home, um, that's the kind of thing that will affect the outcome of the skill. Now, if it's something like, like a, a technique error, something they could have done a little better, or a little smoother. I wait for, I wait till the end of the exercise to, to critique those. And sometimes the burned hand teaches best. 
you know, if they didn't lay out a chucks or they didn't uh, uh, position their equipment appropriately where they could reach it and they have to reach across themselves and contort themselves, you know, what happens when you have to reach for something uh, and contort yourself when you're starting an IV, Chris? You yeah, get man. blood all over your yeah, uniform you pants leg. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, hey, I get to teach another skill. This is also why you carry a spare uniform with you to work. <laughs> You know, yeah. so sometimes those skills, I uh, those mistakes, I, I let happen because the, the burn hand uh, is often the one that teaches best. But I, it, it really, really helps with the students' uh, comfort level to have some sort of template to go by, or in the in the lower rungs or the lower uh, levels of that pyramid. You know, do you think when you when you think about that from the standpoint of see one, do one, teach one kind of thing? Do you think imitation is the best way to start that process? Now go ahead and watch me. So what do you want to do first is you want to go ahead and blah, blah, blah. And I think that imitation always caused the slowing down of the learning of the skill. But I don't know if you have a thought on that or not. But I, 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 I don't know what other way you would yeah. teach that. I don't know I, that I would. Uh, yeah, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, for example, if you're teaching patient assessment. If you're teaching, which patients, by the way is probably the most important skill we need to have. Yes, it's yes, not intubation. Indeed. It's not log rolling. It's not. It's your patient assessment skills. Yeah, and every brand new EMT student obsesses over learning patient assessment, and the trauma assessment is the simplest, most straightforward assessment there is. Uh, assessment is easy. Taking a history is hard. You know, there are so many different variables there, but man, they practice that trauma assessment and they sweat it uh, and they obsess over it, wondering if they're going to pass that at the National Registry exam or at the certification exam. Uh, and, and it is one of the most easily mastered skills. But when you are a new student and you watch it for the first time and you see it from top to bottom, it's it's like, look, you know, it's how am I going to eat this elephant? Uh, so I, I, get, I show them what the, the finished skill should look like uh, just to so that, hey, look, my dumb butt learned how to do it. You can too. And then we start showing them how to take little bites at a time yeah. uh, and, and keep your eye on your plate. And, and uh, eventually you look up, wonder where the elephant went. So I do think that that showing the skill from top to bottom to show what the finished product looks like uh, is in many cases um, uh, is in many cases useful, especially when it's a complex skill. Other less complex skills, if you're just teaching a foundational skill like hand washing or or donning and doffing PPE and that sort of thing, eh, maybe not. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Maybe you don't have to show the whole process. You can just build it up in blocks as you go. So then when you start to talk about manipulation, you're really starting to make the skill your own. Yeah. And you're starting to do things that really is saying, um, well, I could do this instead. I, one of the things that I learned earlier in my career was, you know, when you're in the back of an ambulance and you've got a thousand milliliter bag swinging after you've started an IV and it's pulling on the tubing. And so then I learned to tape the tubing to the cabinet, right? Yeah. And I just took a piece of tape and I taped the tubing to the cabinet, which minimized the swing, which didn't pull on the, now that wasn't manipulation of the skill, but I manipulated my process to say, cut an extra piece of tape so you can, you know what I mean? So it, yeah. now I started to think about how do I manipulate what I've learned to make it my own? But then when you start to come into the precision um, uh, element of uh, climbing up that pyramid, mm -hmm. now you really start to think about how do I 
make this right. So you yeah. you did imitation, follow me, step one, step two, step three. You manipulated the process to kind of make it your own. Then you've honed the skill to say, okay, yeah. this is the way that I'm going to do it. Now, yeah. I do want to give some caution here because you may say, okay, the manipulation, now this is how I want to do it. Three, four years from now, you may learn something that changes that process mm -hmm. and be fluid and dynamic on that. So now when you think about going from manipulation to precision, this is really the honing of the skill. Because yeah. when we now start to think about articulation and naturalization, that's really more uh, subconsciously, consciously that we're going to do that, right? Yeah. So how do you now go from manipulation? Imitation was step one, step two, step three. Manipulation was I'm making this my own skill. And then precision is honing the skill to make it 100% that this is the way I'm going to do it every single yeah. time. How do you go from manipulation to precision? There's nothing like practice. Uh, but, but the caveat being is that practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Uh, and and as, a, as an instructor, you have to have uh, an adequate instructor to student ratio, instructor to equipment, I mean, student to equipment ratio. You have to have that so that you can actually spend personal time watching these students do this until they uh, practice it over and over and over until they achieve mastery. Um, and, and there's really no, there's really no uh, substitute for that. Um, until you can do it and, and, and until it becomes second nature to you and you develop muscle memory, although many trainers uh, disagree with the concept of, of muscle memory. Um, I, uh, your, your muscles don't remember things, but your, your brain just kind of cements those cognitive processes where you don't have to actually do it anymore. But it's your, it's your brain, not your muscles doing this. Um, I don't think there is any substitute at all for constant repetition. And practice. I don't. I don't know if you have a, a differing view on it, but from from starting an IV to inserting a uh, to to performing laryngoscopy to to doing a malfunction drill and dry firing shooting a pistol, you know, there is nothing that substitutes for for constant repetition and practice. Even even the best uh, pistol shooters in the world do constant dry fire practice and, and practice draws and that sort of thing. Those foundational skills every single day. Yeah. One of the things that I've taught as an FTO, one of the things I've taught as an instructor is the skill of visualization mm -hmm. and being able to picture what you're going to do. And, you know, to me, I think that helps get you to that naturalization standpoint. Yeah. And something because that world-class athletes still yeah. do. Yeah. So when you can think about your skill from step to step, um, and this really, I think it's into the articulation side as you now start to think about that. But when we think about precision, I mean, this is where it becomes more exact and, you know, being able to visualize your skill, it, it really is training your subconscious mind to say, when we're in this position, this is what we want to do in this situation. And yeah. it allows us to kind of move forward, uh, which then gives us the, rise up the pyramid to articulation. And yeah. this is where the learner can perform, you know, several skills together in, you know, in a manner that kind of works together. So if you're, um, you know, putting on an EKG and you know that the steps you're going to take us, we kind of do it the same way all the time. Um, I think we sticker, you know, people the same way. Uh, you know, I think we unroll our uh, leads the same way. 
now I can kind of think about that from a standpoint of not only putting the leads on, but now uh, looking at other things of learn how you know, to multitask. Exactly. And I think that that's a great way to put it is you start to multitask. Yeah. And this really now starts to bring into uh, the naturalization of saying this is going to become second nature. Um, but when we think about articulation, I think one of the things that I, I used to teach here as well was the understanding of every single move that you're doing as well. Now we should yeah. know that in precision of why we're uh, having to clean, uh, you know, uh, to do a circular motion mm -hmm. when we're putting on, um, you know, yeah. uh, betadine or, or iodine or whatever it is that we're using and one swipe of alcohol. And then, so it's really important that you kind of understand those things as well. Um, but when we got to articulation where we can multitask, I've mm -hmm. always asked the students or my, uh, you know, the person who was riding with me to really have an understanding as to why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Well, to me, I, I think that, that when, you know, the, the, uh, the why, um, may start with the, with the precision level, but it really, it really starts to, to sing, uh, when you reach articulation, that's that. And that to me is a sign of articulation. You know, the old, the old saying that, um, you don't, you haven't really mastered something until you can teach it to someone else. Um, so when you start to, but the higher end of that, uh, the higher, uh, uh, levels of that skills pyramid, articulation and naturalization, uh, are, are when you understand the context of what it is that you were doing, why you should do it, why you shouldn't do it, how to do it is no longer even, even something you consciously think about, uh, but you understand why and why not, um, and, and can articulate that to, uh, to, to another human being. Uh, you can teach it now. You've gone from see one and do one to, to the level where you can teach one, um, that's that sort of thing is, is to me is is where you were original uh, originally approaching skills mastery is the the uh, the development of context to what you do with the skill. Uh, are you familiar with the Dreyfus model of skills acquisition? Yeah, you know the the Dreyfus model is is a uh, tell our tell our audience who may not be the the Dreyfus familiar. model of skill acquisition um, kind of tells people. Uh, is a model of, of how a skill is acquired uh, and developed and then mastered. And you start off with novice uh, and, and you, you perform rote uh, tasks, you wrote memorized tasks with no real understanding of, of why it is you're doing something. It's monkey see, monkey do. And then you become a, uh, a uh, uh, advanced beginner, and, and then you're a fairly seasoned practitioner. Um, and then finally, you become a, an expert practitioner. And an expert practitioner no longer has to devote time or, or cognitive processes to doing the thing. They're off the page. They don't follow the protocol anymore, uh, at least consciously, because they're beyond the protocol. They and and that whole thing of of uh, the hot the far end of of the Dreyfus model of skills acquisition, where the expert practitioners live, is people who have developed context. Uh, yeah. They understand why and why not. Um, and quite often, you know, when it comes to like protocols, 
they're beyond your protocols. They've outgrown their protocols uh, and they understand what they're doing and can articulate why in a broader context. And they see far beyond the next five, 10 minutes with the patient. Uh, and, and I think that uh, the common thread here is when you get to the top of that pyramid, you are you are developing the context of why this skill is performed and why it should or should not be performed. So one of the things, though, that when we talk about that model, it really does follow mm -hmm. the psychomotor domain and they're just calling it different things. So uh, yeah, as just, well as that's, you know, so when you think about that and well, then finally I think you get to is more more toward the the practitioners themselves and their personal characteristics, whereas uh, the the skills pyramid just focuses on the skill itself. Yeah, yeah. So now when we think about then we get the naturalization, which is the second mm -hmm. nature. I don't know that I'm thinking about starting an IV anymore. I'm just starting it. Um, and it's become second nature for me after all these years. But now, Kelly, let's give some tips to the listeners about how do we go between each element, right? So how do we go from um, imitation to manipulation? I mean, and when we think about this from a standpoint of time, um, we really have to be able to understand that when you come out of the when you come out of training, when you come out of school, when you're doing any skill that you were trained to do, you really have to be able to pay attention to the steps in the skill and then going to that next phase from manipulation of, well, I don't need to do this. I could do this instead. And then finally get into the precision where you hone the skill. What's the tips to get up to that point in the pyramid? I I think well, you said the, the last word is a key, pyramid. I think as you're developing the uh, developing a skill and you're moving toward precision and, and articulation and naturalization, um, you have to still practice the foundational skills the same way every time. Um, and, and as you add uh, layers of complexity and nuance and, and different variables to your performance of the skill, uh, and start to test yourself in new ways, uh, you're still um, cementing those those foundational processes. So you do it the same way every time. And then on top, you you start to add those those layers of complexity. Uh, when I was training retrievers uh, or training dogs, it's the way we did this. We start with heel, you know, and, and then you heel sit. And then you, you heel with 90 degree turns and serpentine patterns and this and that and, and, and sit, and then you move to sit, stay and, and so on and so forth. But the entire time the dog's still practicing how to sit until that becomes second nature or how to heal until that becomes second nature. Uh, and I think the same way, the same way is, uh, uh, is valid in learning a psychomotor skill as a human being is Try to practice it and be consistent in the way you approach the skill. Um, uh, and and as you as you uh, start to become comfortable with the application of that skill, you have to challenge yourself. You have to create, as an instructor, what we do is we create our own teachable moments. And we try to create those in the classroom where the student can get valid and, and, and timely feedback. Uh, we don't want to have that that teachable moment uh, occur in the field uh, when when we can avoid it uh, because sometimes a teachable moment is also something that harms the patient or kills the patient you don't want that oopsie uh, to happen in the field you want it to happen in class so we start to throw some twists and turns in there and and I think human nature 
is when you start to get comfortable with the skill, you start to get complacent with the skill. And you have to uh, you have to kind of uh, ch- uh, have the mental discipline to uh, to challenge yourself uh, as you go. But hey, that's what I think about it. What do you think about it, Chris? Before we close, you know, I, I don't know that I agree with the um, you know once you get complacent with it because I think that once it becomes second nature, if you've used precision to hone that skill, that that's the way you're going to do the skill. The other thing that I was thinking when you were talking about it, which I don't know that we have time really to go into, was why do we teach, once we've gotten to naturalization and we've honed our skill, why do we go back to the basics and teach people the way we learned it if that's not the way we do it anymore? I'll give you an example. I've taught paramedic school for many, many years, and it was in the second to last paramedic school I taught that I stopped teaching the algebra of drug calculations. And oh, just yeah. started to use the, you know, the clock method and and those little tricks that we learned. And uh, people gave me a lot of guff about that, that I wasn't being traditional. Well, uh, I'm not using it anymore anyway. So if yeah. I'm not using it, why am I teaching it? But uh, those are the two things I thought while you were pontificating. <laughs> um, I, th- I think that kind of falls under the, the general category of cognitive offloading. Uh, when, when you don't, you abandon certain processes that aren't necessary anymore, when you have a better tool, when you can look some, why, why memorize a drug dosage when you can look it up just as quickly and just as easily? Uh, why, um, why memorize the algebra of drug calculations when your pump has that stuff, uh, uh, pre-programmed in there? Um, and, and it's not laziness, it's cognitive offloading. And if you can cognitively offload a lot of stuff uh, or enough stuff, you can achieve naturalization of multiple skills at the same time because you're not devoting brain power to how to do those things. Uh, you, you've shifted that brain power somewhere else. But, hey, that's what I think. We've heard what you think. I don't know if you actually what you do is actually called thinking, Chris, but uh, <laughs> but we'd like to hear what our listeners think. What do you think about how skills are developed, how you achieve mastery and naturalization of a skill. Um, what uh, instructors, what kind of tips and tricks have you learned along the way? We'd love to hear about them at the show at ems1.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Don't forget to check out the video on YouTube. And for myself and co-host Chris Cavallaro, uh, where imitation is the greatest form of flattery, this is why he imitates me constantly. Thanks for tuning in to Inside at EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.